Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 442 of the JV Club with author Kat Babmagira. What a delight, what a joy. This is a classic JV Club experience, in my opinion, because we go all over the map with laughter, with intensity, with honesty, and with a fantastic guest. So I hope you will enjoy this episode with Kat, who just wrote a fantastic book called Poe for Your Problems. And yes, that Poe. Give it a listen. Enjoy the rest of October and happy Halloween, if that's something that's meaningful to you. very much like and I think that you you explaining it in that way is not so bad of a segue even just to kind of explain the sort of Poe for your problems mm-hmm. you know putting p- putting somebody we don't ever expect to put into a self-help column uh, when we're talking about our feelings and literature um, is it's just that's that's a lovely putting together of of two kind of disparate concepts right so i know you're you're you've probably told every single person you've done an interview with where the inception for that idea comes from and i don't want to like i'm not going to march you through that yet that's why my podcast is fun because we'll talk about your teenage years Mm -hmm. and then maybe we'll amble our way in that direction but that is kind of the punishment of having a great idea that no one's ever thought about before is that you were forever cursed to answer the question like, I mean, where did you come up with that idea? Right? I should have the story more pat than I do. I still kind of stumble through, I guess because it, honestly, it does harken back to a very dark time in my life. So it's not mm. like, an el- it's not exactly as put together as an elevator pitch as maybe it should be by now. Because you're right, right. I have been I- repeating it you know, for months or what feels like months now. And then I did that before when I was selling the book. And that was a hard sell to get people to accept this idea was yeah. very much an uphill battle. I feel like once you've once you've actually made that happen, hopefully you get to s- just sort of coast on that for at least part of the writing process is that you've, you've gotten the boost of like, yeah, I convinced you all. Ha ha. <laughs> I've got, you know, I got my idea across that seemed very hard to communicate. So if I can do that, surely I can kick ass as I'm doing the actual writing. Right. Which is exactly how it doesn't go. But you do. Come oh, okay, in great. It, it, <laughs> it's good to get that moment of confidence. I find, I mean, even when the writing process itself is not particularly easy, as long as I'm feeling good about it, then it's just easy. Yeah. You enter flow. You know what I mean? Sure. Oh, flow. God, I love flow. Right. Flow is our friend. Is that a place that you feel like you access semi-regularly slash easily? Or is it something that feels more fleeting or more elusive, but when you hit it, it lasts a good while? I think also I'm, a totally weird question. Not at all. Um, I mean, it's also like, do you orgasm every time? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but totally. I will say, I do think I hit it with regularity because my my life is boring. I have a really kind of pretty strict routine and one day it's very much like another. So, and also I will say about this is that it's not that writing has brought me like money or necessarily the ego payoffs I wanted back in my 20s. But it's yeah, the flow is now the incentive. It's why. So if I didn't get there regularly, I don't know if I would hang in. Right, 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 right. How did is that a process that you recognize from early on? Because you know, that's one of the other kind of Mm -hmm. things that I think is either intimated or expressed directly when people talk about flow, or they talk about creativity is, it's very easy to kind of harken back to that, you know, well, when you're a child, you're in a constant state of flow because you're not judging yourself and you're not, you're open and you're, you know, this is like, I just had my um, sweetie watch uh, Six Degrees of Separation, the film um, that I don't know if you've seen, but it's Mm -mm. it's very, very closely based on John Guare's uh, play. And there's this conversation with the, the 
Donald Sutherland character where he talks about how, you know, you go visit a kid in their class and if you walk through the school, all of the first graders just have like scribbles and all of the third and fourth graders are, have these very self-conscious trying to do, do a certain thing mm-hmm. efforts, but like sec- every second grader is Kandinsky kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, kids in their flow. Listen, you know. That's where that's when you're you're not connected to your insecurities, which I mean, I guess I'll give it up for the idea of it only being second grade because I was a very self-conscious child. I can't really remember a time when I was Uh like, I'm groovy, everybody. Look at me. I'm totally with you. I don't remember a time before painful self-consciousness, especially if someone was watching. You know, I think even then I had an idea of like, oh, I should put across the idea that this feels fine when actually I'm sweating on the inside. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is that something that you that you sort of learned to overcome as a younger person or or was it like you just kind of plow through it or or did you kind of avoid doing certain things because because they made you feel insecure? I think I like what were you like? Let's all I can I can I can also isolate back into you being a teenager. I don't want to make you like start at age five. That's cruel. Mm, I mean, I think it was. Now, the only difference is that I have perspective on it. The feelings are very unchanged, um, except I can watch myself have them as if I were another person. And so I can kind of forgive myself that way. But I think, yeah, from the, as I remember it anyway, I don't know, I don't think I'm making this up. I was always really painfully self-conscious. And yet, because I was a middle child, so I come from this big Catholic family, I'm, the third youngest of seven and oh wow okay so i definitely had a craving for attention and then a desire to be listened to and paid attention to but that was coupled with finding that impulse gross (laughs) Uh (laughs) uh-huh so i mean it was always those things warring and so when i was in high school i was on a literary magazine and i did a lot of theater acting And it was always those two things. Like I would dislike myself for the sort of like pathological desire to be seen. And right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really sound like I'm psychoanalyzing myself. I don't think it was as as grim (laughs) as that, but it's more because I've, you know, been alive this long, I can observe the patterns in myself over time. Right. And also you're describing most young people. I mean, you right. know, like you, you can, that, that's what, that's the other thing that I always love when I do this podcast is the feeling of like, how arbitrary are the assignments that we give in retrospect when we can sort of like, I could be like, well, I'm an only child. So of course I had this very mm-hmm. big desire to be seen. And it's like, well, those are, <laughs> that's two children from very, very different backgrounds who both want to be seen. So, right. it, you know, it could, it could be that, or, you know, maybe it would have happened no matter what your family size was, you know, we can only work with what we got. It's true. You know, I, I think that these are probably like much more universal tendencies than we acknowledge. So it's weird to, you know, sort of beat up little kids about this. I don't want to be too mean to my past self. Um, Please don't. Not on my account. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So a literary magazine in high school, I have to say that does sound um, like a person with some direction. Um, And direction in in an intellectual capacity that, you know, being in, in being in perhaps another kind of club, although looking back, pretty much I didn't belong to any clubs and they all seem kind of great and like they show promise in a student that I mm. <laughs> that I was not exhibiting possibly by virtue of not being in a club but there was probably a reason I wasn't in the clubs which was that I wasn't showing promise um what what style of writing were you like did you kind of have the same passionate feelings about certain writers that many of us have or that many of us have about music that speaks to us or you know films like that's such an era of that's such an age of establishing identity and often identity that you know really amazingly resembles a specific style of someone else for sure (laughs) because we're kind of trying trying it on but you know also kind of trying to assign it to ourselves because it feels like what a great I don't think it feels like a shortcut at the time, Mm-mm. but like 
it but there might be something unconscious happening that's like well listen like i feel like all i wrote so much poetry mm-hmm. when i was you know a sophomore and junior in, in high school that was so desperately trying to sound like dylan thomas uh-huh. um you know as but uh, uh, but still thinking like yeah i recognize that you know yes he had an influence on me but this is me me you know i do think you're ever going to try on those voices to figure out your style and there's an element of just like kind of tracing to it like how does the flow of a poem yeah, go tracing. where do lines break well said yeah um, so there's nothing wrong with that i at least that's what i'm telling myself now i remember reading if anything's embarrassing this might be liking kerouac <laughs> um, and reading beat writers i mean i still think ginsburg that a lot of ginsburg is good it's not like there's not bad ginsburg there totally is and I remember reading a lot of him. I remember Henry Miller's Tropic of Cancer meaning a lot to me, not least because it was yeah. dirty. Um, oh, sure. And No, please. I thought I was like a connoisseur of Robert Crumb for, oh. for, for like six months because, you know, because it was dirty. But I was like, you don't understand. This is ho oat dirty. Yeah. Ho, ho couture dirty. Like high culture dirty, which is still exactly. my favorite. So... Uh, yeah, I remember yeah. I listened to a lot of Bob Dylan to the point where I don't think it's painful to me to hear any of his songs now just because I think I wore them out. And, and in a sense, like each one of them is imbued with some mood <laughs> Yeah, totally. when I was 16, 17, 18. And, and I feel like, I mean, Kerouac and Dylan are sort of of a piece, right? I mean, mm-hmm. rather than like, like... Were, do you feel like you were drawn to a specific era in the way that some generations are drawn? Because now, you know, like now people are, are rediscovering 90s stuff in mm-hmm. kind of en masse like that. You know, there might be somebody who's like and, and so if you sort of put that pattern on you as a young person, because it's not like, you know, this was contemporaneous, like Jack Kerouac put out on the road and I bought it at the newsstand or whatever. <laughs> exactly. I actually just did, or I've been trying to arrange to give some of my 90s vintage stuff to my nieces who are 13 See? and 16. It's time. Who yeah. look great in the stuff anyway, and who are definitely wearing baby tees and like oversized jeans and platform shoes. Um, and none of those styles were bad. I think I was drawn to the 60s for questions that I didn't understand at the time, but now do better, or I understand better. I've wondered what happened to your revolution, not trying to sound like reality bites, but my parents were boomers and I love, I still love sixties protest music. I used to listen to the sixties station in my car. I had a little geo storm that was teal and awesome. Yeah. And a lot of Dylan and sort of like, if you're going to San Francisco sort of stuff, because I, I wished that that youth culture had existed when I was in high school in the late nineties, I graduated in 2000 and my parents had been hippies. And, but when I knew them, by the time I knew them, they were incredibly religious and conservative and became more and more Mm. so over my Mm -hmm. childhood and teenage years. And I guess I, I wasn't able to formulate the question at the time, like what happened? Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good, that's a real, I mean, that is a very specific era. That's very specific. I mean, even just the era of being a child of somebody who you look at old pictures of them or you hear the occasional anecdote and you can't content map that on top of, Mm -hmm. of the person that you know now and I think there, you're right. There's a sense of kind of ch- like, like, like paradise lost, childhood's end kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. how do you? And 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 also, you know, maybe the sense of like, oh no, is that going to happen to me? You know, like whether that's articulated in a teenage brain. Where were you? Where were you and your and your six siblings growing up? Where where were you a teenager? In Richmond, Virginia, where I now live again. Oh, very cool. I've only been to Richmond once, but I spent a few days there. Um, around a work thing, but went there for extra time because my, I don't know why, I just want to say my husband, but we're not married and we've been together seven years, but um, 
my common law husband mm-hmm. uh, lived in Richmond for for seven years and and wanted to sort of show me the the town that he loved, and uh, I really fell in love with it. And I was there in the summer, and I hate humidity, so uh-huh. it had to be pretty kick ass <laughs> to surmount the hatred that I have towards hot, hot, hot days and lots of humidity, I still was like, this place is very special. You well, know, broken in its own way, and mm. but broken in sort of, broken in a way that like someone who's only lived in the West or on the West Coast finds magical. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see you know, it. I mean, yeah, right? It's funny. And also a place where, oh no, go ahead, please. No, well, I was just gonna say, I, I'm totally ambivalent about the place. I can see its good qualities. I also, mm. you know, I had my angsty teenage years here. My husband's also from here. So it's a complicated place for me. But I will say that this past summer, uh, well, I guess I'm really talking about the summer of 2020. What, what meaning does time have anymore? But, you know, I was, agreed. at the time I was pregnant, so I wasn't actually going to the protest because I was so scared about COVID and everything. But I drove through to see the graffiti statues. And that was tremendously yeah. moving for me. I was so glad yeah. to see Richmond kind of taking that step and to see people like the, I'm going to sound like awful, but the people's action. <laughs> um, no, no. <laughs> Fair. Did you drive along Absolutely. there? Yeah. And I, so I knew I definitely, and I had, by the way, been there in the summer of 2019. So it was very fresh in my mind in 2020 mm-hmm. when those stories were happening. And um, Brandon is a journalist. And so he was, you know, incredibly in- invested in reading what was going on mm-hmm. and the way that those conversations were happening around Civil War memorial statues and 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 what that, you know, what that was going to look like and, and the sort of in-between of of the sort of defacing into a different kind of art of the existing statues before, you know, anybody was like fully taking them down was a really kind of interesting, cool phase also, right? Mm, I definitely thought so. I mean, it's, when do we see, like actually visually see collective action? Um, Yeah. And that, that was incredible to me. I'm not saying that like necessarily like, I know an elder, I guess properly elderly friend of mine ended up leaving the neighborhood around Monument Avenue because she was worried something would happen to her building and she couldn't sleep for all the protests. So I understand it wasn't always like every element was not an unmitigated good. It rarely is anything. Yeah, exactly. It's good. I mean, those those stories are important to carry forward as well because that's I'm sure that's the same I mean you know (laughs) even just like the amount of garbage at Woodstock you know those things kind of there's a little bit of a the aftertaste of like I mean we are still human beings and we have a hard time getting stuff right but Mm -hmm. you know there's some good stuff in there there's some good stuff in there you know Mm mm-hmm did you have a relationship to your high school that was informed by your siblings you know, was it like, hey, hey, cat, I expect X, Y, and Z from you. I expect you to have this sister's blah, this brother's blah, and, you know, you better believe I'm going to expect <laughs> you to blah because, you you know, that's your family. Well, all right. So my sister, Amy, we're kind of stair-stepped. All of us were not Irish twins properly, but there's about 18 months between a lot of us. So my sister, Amy, is 18 months older, and so she was always driving to school and so I kind of I got a ride and when I whenever I fell out with friends she would let me sit at her lunch table she really kind of helped that way it made the whole social scene much easier and oh uh, uh, when she didn't say yes to dating some guy they would usually ask out <laughs> ask me out uh, <laughs> I can remember some of them so my very name I hyphenated it's Bab Makara but I was called Baby Bab by some of them. You know the totally standard school trip treatment of someone making fun of your last name or puns on your last name, all of that. There was a lot of that. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. 
Well, hello, I'm Renee Colvert. Hi, I'm Alexis Preston, and we are the hosts of Can I Pet Your Dog? And we got breaking news, we got an expose, and all the beans have been spilled via an Apple podcast review that said, this show isn't well-researched. <gasps> well, yeah, no duh. Of course it's not. Not since the day we started has it been well-researched. Guessing and anthropomorphizing dogs is what we do. The Can I Pet Your Dog promise is that we will never do more than 10 seconds of research before telling you excitedly about any dog we see. I'm going to come at you with top 10 enthusiasm, minimal facts. We're here for a good time, not an educated time. So if you love dogs and you don't love research, well, <laughs> you know what? Come on in to Can I Pet Your Dog podcast every Tuesday on Maximum Fun Network. <laughs> I mean, I am an only child, so it's okay. I I treasure conversations with people with big families because when you say there's you know roughly eighteen months f- between many of us, that's like never a sentence I'll ever say <laughs> with respect to my family. You know, just being able to sort of like say you know g- gives a, like a percentage, like yeah, you know, like seventy five percent of us <laughs> are closer to like no, nope, I don't have that five. at all. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And did you have uh, so there was there was some sharing happen mm-hmm. happening there. There was some crossover. There was some uh, maybe a sense of also wanting to identify as an independent voice and be seen, as you said. But to both our points, that is something that probably happens to a lot of kids anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, how was dating for you as, as a teenager at your school? And was your school um, diverse in the ways that all of the ways that I could mean diverse, because I understand that it doesn't just mean one thing. Mm-hmm. I think it was relatively diverse. It was a time where Richmond's, so the school fed from the West End of Richmond, really suburban counties. And it was a time when those were not so much gentrifying as being developed into massive planned communities around golf courses. So you had this mix of kids who were from 70s ranchers near the high school and mm-hmm. fairly, fairly modest circumstances. And suddenly the school was also being fed by these golf course communities with anglicized names and, you know, Wyndham and Wellesley and all like multiple unnecessary Y's in every one of those names. Um, so it was yeah. a mix socioeconomically. Like I remember the perfect, you know how much attention you pay to cars in high school. It seems so ludicrous, but um, you know, some kids were, getting brand new BMWs and others were driving junkers or not having cars at all. Sure. And then racially, I think there was more of a minority population there than you would find just general population. Um, I remember it being, it was, it's more, it seems more segregated in my mind than things are now, but I don't think it was altogether. So I remember at least this is me being the white shark, so I remember things being relatively friendly and not tense, but that may not have been everybody's experience. So I wouldn't want to speak to that. Um, right. Understood. Understood. Um, yeah. I mean, I was, I was certainly, I, mean, I think my politics were liberal from the time I was a little, little kid. So it was really kind of hard in some ways to grow up in the household I did, even though my parents, like, they're very generous people. And I know how much they have tried, but I always kind of felt like the odd one out a bit. And I know a lot of kids growing up, grow up feeling like that, but in part mm. because, you know, I, my politics were utterly different from the time I can remember thinking about those things. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you, of course, mentioned that that your parents had sort of gone through a bit of a transformation from mm. from the 60s uh, and I don't want to put you on the spot or you know disrespect them by asking you to tell their story but if you're comfortable with it was there was like what do you have a sense of what kind of took them from on on the road from maybe a more liberal point of view if I'm interpreting what you said about them being hippies right and mm-hmm. uh, and kind of led them into being more uh, conservative across the board yeah. Um, well, to speak in like fairly general terms, I don't think I'm giving up any major privacies or anything. I would definitely try not to. But so my dad went to Vietnam yeah. and his uh, because mm. he felt that it wasn't fair that college kids could get out of it. Uh, so he went and he was there from 68 to 70. 
And meanwhile, my mom is back in the U.S. was kind of like doing the standard protesting the war and big moves sort of thing. And when dad got back, he was offended by the treatment of returning soldiers. What he felt was like a a real disdain for people who had done a difficult thing. Um, Not that the, yeah. Now, see, now I don't want to start. (laughs) Now I'm already starting to like commentate on. Oh, I mean, on his experience, but of territory. course, of course, there's yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's hard. It's hard to hear that because I I a hundred percent agree mm-hmm. and totally sympathize, and then yet at the same time, you want to be like, not like the government was treating you any better, right? Not like that was the best idea that we were there. Like, uh, right. Yeah, all those right. all those things, and you know, it's not an individual. I will say that there's a strain of thinking. We lived in LA for a while, and I absolutely loved it because I felt like <laughs> you don't rare, you don't often run into conservatives. You do, but you kind of have to go to Orange County. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think that among conservatives, there's a feeling of like, even if I was a hippie, I've always been counterculture, and now I'm still counterculture. Because uh, yes, indeed. So that's okay. a real strain of like identity and thinking, which I often see. Have you written about that? I, it's a hard space to be honest in. Gotcha. I think, and also years ago, I did try to, I got interested in the question of whether people are naturally, or if there's some comp- like biological or neurological component around people being tending to be liberal when they're young and conservative when they're old. And I Hmm. badly read some scientific studies and talked to this lovely gerontologist and MD PhD type to see. And he told me that his reading on the situation is that people bear the imprint of their early political experiences so that he says the reason boomers are, have grown up to be conservative is because they all voted for Nixon. Essentially, that was his artist's way right. way more nuanced than uh, that. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> it's an easy little tag to put on it if you know when you need to. Right. So, anyway, I did look into that question because I was I even had this idea. I I have a fear that my brain is going to go bad, and that's not to make any great claim about what it's doing now. But I just uh-huh. worry <laughs> that it's going to get like sclerotic or something at fifty, and I will just have the feeling you know the worst characteristics the worst cliche characteristic characteristics of the age like a feeling of being dispossessed of closeness to new ideas that's not everyone by any means um right but i worry about those qualities because i associate them with not being very happy and not being very curious yes so i worry about it yeah yeah I relate to that as well. I yeah. mean, I think that's that's a it's a it's a it's a really interesting time to be any age mm-hmm. right now. But I do think that it's interesting to be neither a young mind, a young mm-hmm. fresh college student type and also not be like a retiree. I think it's a really interesting time to just sort of be a uh, a middle of your life, not necessarily middle aged, but mm-hmm. like sort of middle of your life adult because there is like much more so now than, you know, even five years ago of my life. I feel like I'm asking those questions of myself a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that's similar. We're not the same age, but um, I think generationally, just based on what we're talking about, we can, for the practical purposes of this, say, is that something that you've started to notice more now? And also circumstantially. But this this feeling of like, am I resisting something because I'm getting older or because I'm trying to hold on to something? Or am I, you know, am I, am I like even with technology, you know, mm-hmm. am I being like a weird, like, you know, persnickety old lady about something that that's that feels to me like it's not great? And at what point do but you, at the same time, you don't want to be like, well, I don't want to just dismiss misgivings because somebody's got to like, mm-hmm. Every every new social media platform is not like God's gift. Like there's no, mm-hmm. it should you know like it. it so I I don't know. I find myself questioning, and I think I I guess I I guess on the positive side, like it's good to be asking that question because at least you're you're trying to put your own feelings and your own concerns or your own curiosity into a context outside of just that one thing, mm-hmm. right? But it can get confusing. 
I really think it can. Like, it's probably good that the mechanism of evaluating it is self-questioning because you need to stay self-questioning. Um, exactly. If I've got that, I can't be all the way gone. <laughs> yeah. So Only when I'm sure I'm right all the time and I think nothing should change is it a very bad sign, right? I think that's right. I really do. <laughs> uh, um, okay. Well, that makes sense about your folks. And I asked about, yeah, writing about that because I, I agree with you. I mean, it is a, it's a tough territory, um, but it's, it feels so key at times um, in understanding each other. And that's also a, a tough product, I think, of some of the stuff that we've gone through as a culture is feeling like, well, I want I want people to be able to talk about it and ask questions, even if, you know, they're ignorant questions in some cases or difficult questions. It's 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 tough. There's it's a tough time to Oh, it's tough. It is, yeah, especially with yeah, the, like the impetus over the last couple of years where you know, it's like if you, you should stop speaking to relatives or acquaintances or yeah. anyone that you encounter socially if their views are X, Y, and Z right. because those... We don't have time. We don't have time. It's a lost cause. We've got to be looking forward. Yeah, there's that. And then, I mean, <laughs> in parts of this country, you wouldn't know anybody anymore. <laughs> so. Right, right. I'm going to say, I'm just, I'm ambivalent on that question too. I don't have a like a morally resolute answer in the face of it. I'm yeah. not sure what's right. Oh my God. I absolutely didn't. Yeah, I don't either. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that on you <laughs> any more than I would want to put on me. But is that what, I mean, not directly related to that, but. I mean, you. it's funny that you ended up kind of bringing something from our past to the front as a sort of way of like as a different lens. Right. With the Poe book, mm. like that, that there's a that there's like value in being able to go, you know what, let me let me just pull from something that I just I'm not I don't think anybody is going to that doesn't feel like a hot button <laughs> or that doesn't feel like it's not like, you know, it's. I see, like, it's not like shit can't exist for 170 years and not be misunderstood. <laughs> um, right, right. <laughs> because that's totally a thing. And with Poe specifically, here's the interesting thing. Like, every new generation kind of, not to compare him to Jesus, because that's not what I'm doing, but, like, every generation develops their own Poe. You can track, like, like phases and fads and critical theory by how it was applied to him. Every mm. single phase of literary criticism has hit him, like Freudianism hit him so hard for obvious reasons. But also, sure. because he's so widely read, he's a part of national literatures way beyond American literature. The French, like yeah. Bo the Baudelaire got hold of him within, like, actually during Poe's lifetime, and then within a few decades after he was translating him to French, and he got obsessed with him and came to mm. view him as... I mean, they weren't using the word existential hero, but that's how what Baudelaire's view of Poe was. So ever hmm. since, the French have viewed him this way. And to this day, he has like a Jerry Lewis-like reputation there. Where he's outsized <laughs> in his influence. And I don't know how either of those dudes <laughs> right? would feel about that. And I'm, I'm delighted by it. <laughs> it's, I, think it I, mean, I think it's wonderful. So I say that the French beat me to this idea by 150 years. But that even that like hmm. French reception of Poe is is not really that well understood in like Poe's native country, which is interesting. But it took me years to yeah. figure it like my research process went on for years because there's just so much Poe to dig through. I can't believe I'm gonna say this, but and how did that start for you? Um just kind of the seeds of like I need to dig into this and this is kind of the shape that I that I think it could take. Mm. I think in general that obsessions find us when we need them. Yeah. So I grew up in Richmond, which is in a sense Poe's hometown too. He wasn't born here, but he spent some formative years here. I always joke that the reason I think of him as a Richmonder is because he also went to high school here. So it's his psychic prison too. Um, sure, sure. In any case, I encountered him very early because he's a local presence. And I remember reading him in elementary school and being absolutely bowled over by it and struck by how beautiful it is and the musicality of the poetry and blah, blah, blah. 
Um, and then I grew up and I forgot all about him. I never encountered him in my English major. Academics kind of hate Poe, to be honest with you. And then I never encountered mm-hmm. I did a master's. I didn't come across him again. And then in late 2016, I'm living back in Richmond. And I just, I've always had depressed depressive episodes ever since I was a little kid. And mm-hmm. I come into what is the sheer worst one yet to the point where I had to take a month off work with mental health leave and go through the whole mm-hmm. process of like saying that to your boss and your boss's boss is, even though they were yeah. so kind, everyone's so kind, but to get to that point of not being able to function is not great and yeah. trouble sleeping and eating and all the rest of it. So I, I don't know what it was, but I got an impulse to start rereading Poe. And like took the volume of mystery, oh sorry, the complete tales of mystery and imagination into my bathtub where I would be reading the stories, you know, these 19th century got for torture stories and with tears just falling down my face because A, the descriptions of pain spoke to me, uh, you know, about mm-hmm. my own psychic pain. And also because I realized that these stories that I'd read as a kid, they actually Poe was talking about two things at once. Like they were actual, you know, shipwreck adventure stories, and they were also metaphors for the pain and absurdity of the human condition. And I was so mm-hmm. enraptured by that that over time, it wasn't an instant process, but over time, I became yeah. so obsessed that it drew me out of the depressive period. And I just thought, also, as I got into Poe biography, because the guy had such a hard life. He lost everyone he loved. He was desperately poor to the point of sometimes being literally starving. And he got paid shit for his work, for his brilliant, mm-hmm. you know, so much of which was brilliant and turned out to be these lasting literary masterpieces. Anyway, yeah. he kept going. He did his work in spite of it. And I mean, that could sound like the cheesiest girl boss reading of hell. I don't <laughs> think it's true. I, I think it actually is. A phenomenal example yeah. of strength in the same way Baudelaire noticed in like 1860. Yeah. So that's sorry. That's like a 15 minute explanation. But that's no, it's not. Right. No, no, no. But no. But I mean, again, this my podcast is intentionally ideally long and ambling and um, makes like sort of makes sense in the context of what we've been talking about talking about already. And I will say <laughs> That in tribute to my own teenage self, as you were talking about this, I quickly flashed to an Indigo Girl song about Virginia Woolf in which if my teenage brain, because I have, I well, do not listen to the Indigo Girls with a regularity that I did when I was mm-hmm. uh, a younger person, maybe not high school, but a little later, but like uh, that there's a line where she, you know, says, um, I, like reading her diary was like a like a like a message in a bottle through time to her and mm-hmm. it was her you know and it was and it was uh, Emily uh, Emily's rebirth so mm-hmm. that's that's what flashed into my mind that idea of like I got a very physical image of someone sort of reaching out and pulling someone out of that abyss um and I think that's so I mean that's so powerful and it's so wonderful and so giving that explanation or sharing that part of it with people when you talk about the process or you talk about how, uh, you know, how this idea sort of started to very slowly unfurl and kind of became maybe it's tentacled and that's okay. You know, maybe it's a vine that's sort of creeping into other pieces of your brain or other parts of your life and then it needs to be shaped into a book or whatever is that it also gives people independent of what you're doing in the book by by making you know by pulling Poe out and sort of putting into this context you're also reminding people that art can have that saving quality right Mm, I I mean mean, that's love that's so lovely and it's in in and of itself it is this lifeline that you're you know you're saying look find you could find yours at any moment everybody Janet you know what I'm realizing is we're having this conversation and you're saying that in a way it's a very teenage relationship where there's just not a whole lot of filter between you and the thing um, yeah. and it, I mean I love that but that's wonderful right? there's a vulnerability and a rawness to that that like you said all of those feelings are still the same it's just 
how we choose to respond to them or, you know, what what kind of Band-Aid we put on. And sometimes we overcomplicate it when the balm is as simple as like, you can just love a thing a lot and get a lot out of it. Mm -hmm. And that relationship can feel mutual in a way. And it and it can be exactly what you need. It doesn't have to always be, you know, a combination of like two different therapists and medication. By the way, I'm uh, 100% on board for all oh, of that too. stuff. Absolutely. Annie. You know what I mean? But like, but don't let don't let a sense of I'm supposed to be too grown up to have this crush on art. Don't let that show that shouldn't stop that. us from letting it rescue us. Right? I think that's so true. And I mean, all right, I'm definitely not saying like depression is beautiful because you're your most vulnerable, cracked up and self. Of course not. There's it's fucking awful. I've been there. Yeah. So everyone who has would treat it romantically. There is maybe well because we're not. Yeah, yeah. You're not. Your depression for most of us usually doesn't result in inspiration or you know. Oh, I wrote my best work. It's like you could write when you were depressed. That's amazing. (laughs) Are we talking about the same word, depression? (laughs) Oh my god. For many people, it is. It's just the. the, It's just a total emptiness. It's a void, and you know, the last thing you want to do is be inspired because that feels impossible. That's why it's anyway. I interrupted you. No, that's yes. All of that is true for me. Speaking of teenage revelations, I remember it took me a long time to grow up and figure out that some of the people I admired, like Sylvia Plath and Robert Lowell, like they didn't do their work because of their suffering. They did it despite it. And I think that's Poe too. And especially given the circumstances of his life, it's, I find an intensely moving example of that, which is not the way we usually think of him because he also had a ton of faults. Like he drank too much a fair number of times. He got into fights with everybody. Even those things. Like I love a flawed hero. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is a podcast. (gasps) Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. That thing is not my daughter. And I want you to tell me there's a show where the hosts don't just report on French science and spirituality, but take part themselves. Well, there is, and it's Ono, Ross, and Carrie on Maximum Fun. This year, we actually became certified exorcists. So yes, Carrie and I can help your daughter. Or we can just talk about it on the show. Ono, Ross, and Carrie on MaximumFun.org. Oh, this has been such a treat. I, I want to get into, I do play at the end of my podcast, which I say end loosely because it still takes like a quarter of the podcast. But I I, I hate when I start it too late because it's kind of a fun one. Uh, mm. I do like to play this game of MASH at the end. The first category I would love for you to answer for me is, well, let's start with that. I'd love to, to see if there are three movies, three films that you could sort of transport yourself into. You're not reliving the plot or anything. It's just mostly about the world and the feeling that you get from that world that would be really fun to kind of pop into when you wanted it. That sort of immersion feeling. Oh, OK. Valley uh, of the Dolls. Great. I absolutely love. I think it would be. Is Casablanca too big? Uh, listen, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Singing in the rain, of course. I mean, don't you dare say it's too basic or that anything you say and do would be too basic at this point. Singing in the rain, fabulous. Yeah. So I think those would be my three. Again, like some of those. Okay. So, and Casablanca. Um, yeah. Singing in the rain. I watched for the first time that I can remember, although I'm sure I saw it when I was young. And I just had had totally forgotten how just wonderfully satirical and cynical parts of it are. Mm-hmm. Like so many of those films that everybody sort of you 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 just imagine the sunshiny polish of what is so charming about them, and then you go back and go like, oh wait, no, there are like some much deeper reasons that this is phenomenally good, and they're not necessarily like candy 
cotton candy, you know? No, um, it's managing, like, it's kind of doing those two things at once, or it's self-aware and commenting yes. on itself, but yes. not in a boringly, yes. like, self-consciously meta way. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, great. Uh, got those three. Fantastic. Next one, let's do three, let's do three eras that you can witness in a sort of protective bubble. So you could either see an isolated incident like, oh my God, I finally, like I have seen with my own eyes exactly who shot JFK. There's no mystery to it. Whether or not I can convince people, that's up to me or whether I just choose to keep it to myself. Or it could be, you know, I would love to see this, not necessarily because it cheers you up, but like, you know, I would love to see Poe in his element and, you know, follow him for a day in my little invisible safety bubble. Or, hey, what do dinosaurs look like? I'd like to know. So three places that we're going to give you a chance to get a little slide slide uh, snapshot of, but mm-hmm. um, you're going to be there. But you're not going to, like, get, you know, the mumps. So the... 18- As if the mumps are the worst thing you can get. <laughs> right. Tuberculosis. That was oh. the worst. The worst thing I could think of. Oh, Janet, oh. how naive. I I love William Morris and his life. He's the wallpaper designer, but he had oh yes, indeed, uh, yes. such an interesting life, and he was such a good person. Uh, he actually moved out I once so that his wife could have an affair with one of his friends because they just kept itching for it for a year. So he's finally like, "All right, you guys take the house. I'll see you in a year." Uh, oh my he was, god! And he was committed socialist politics. Anyway, I love him. So the 1880s and 1890s with him. 1830s, 1840s with Poe, which was a gruesome era and so sad, but I would like to see him in action and see if my read of him is correct. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, the 70s look really, probably the, can I say the 60s and 70s? Maybe like right about 69, 70 experience the like fumes of the revolution uh, gets wear some of those clothes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Wonderful. Okay. Next category. Three foods that in this reality perhaps you find to be ecologically uh, irresponsible or you're allergic to them or, God, I just wish I could eat a sleeve of Oreos like I could when I was 10 and not feel sick afterwards. Uh, We're kind of giving you this uh, fictitious alternate universe world in which everything is fine. You're not there's no ramifications to anything. And it could also this this category could also be used to, you know, get you that, uh, you know, pan au chocolat that you've never found the equal to after this one trip to Paris. You know, you could like also have that at the snap of your finger. So three foods that we're going to make guilt-free for you in whatever way. Red vines. I love, I think it's just congealed corn syrup and red sauce or (laughs) red 42. Yeah, I think licorice is like wheat and molasses. Mm. (laughs) so corn gross, syrup but somehow yeah. delicious i love those okay uh, uh, agreed movie theater popcorn wait i haven't been to the movies <laughs> now in two years probably i miss them which i would almost exclusively eat red vines with movie theater popcorn oh, yes. so already these two things together are very pleasing to me i agree i will say since you mentioned the kind of chocolate thing i did have like the best sandwich in the middle of the night in France like 20 years ago I think it was just a lot of mayonnaise on a steak sandwich but that is like uber sandwich in my mind yeah I'm putting that in there that's fantastic middle of the night sandwich are you kidding me that's exactly what this category Mm. is for uh wonderful yeah also you know in France it's like yeah you there's a fair to to strong chance that in the middle of the night you are going to get like a baguette with a bunch of butter brie and some cornichon and it's going to be like the best goddamn thing that anyone has ever had so i love it uh next category let's do three let's do three literary characters that you get to kind of spend an afternoon with in some whatever context you would like Oh, okay. So writers or just their characters? Well, I was going with characters, but I'll happily broaden it out to include writers. Okay. Uh, Because I would love to meet Byron. I love his work. Oh, sure. So, I mean, this sounds so corny to say about a person, but he's so sexy that I would just like to observe that. Um, Love it. I love... Um, a Nabokov novel called Ada or Arter. I love some of the characters from that. Oh, great. 
Oh, I okay. I'm gonna go to the resort up in the mountains in the Magic Mountain and just like lay around under quilts for eight years. Oh, wonderful! Hang out with all those like in half invalid, half voluntary, voluntarily there folks. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, okay, great. Let's do three. You mentioned somebody being sexy. That takes me into the uh, absolutely necessary category in MASH of a romance or sexy times that happens in this alternate universe. You could pick one person that you're like, I would just want a one night stand with that person. And you could pick someone else and say, but this person, you know, I'd want to have this long term relationship with. There's really no rule. I'm not committing you to a lifelong relationship with 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 this the, any of these people. So three people you'd like to have a little romance, long term or short term, sexy times, etc. Okay, Byron definitely would be one of them. Um, let's get him on there. Let's, yeah. let's increase your chances. Get him on there in a, a second time. I'm all for it. And in his 20s, when he was really at the talent game. Uh, Great. Oh, is this bad? I'm really a attracted to the anthropologist Joseph Campbell just because I like his work so much. I don't even know what he looks sure. like, but I would go to it. I would do it. Um, Great. Everyone else I'm thinking of is living and not a neighbor. <laughs> I want to say out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I pass. Well, no. But you know you <laughs> So you're, you're foregoing the third the third one is that that's what you're telling me yeah out of a desire not to be rude or to be a great <laughs> okay this is going to be very interesting because it's going to throw all the numbers off and i'm excited about it i'm excited oh. about it uh okay let's do three let's do three musicians that um you know nobody knows this but in it turns out actually e- each of these musicians wrote a song about you Oh, uh, presumably positive, presumably positive. But listen, if you want to have totally just eviscerated someone and it's all heartbreak, that would probably be a great song also. Oh, shit. Uh, Mahler. I love him. <laughs> um, Richard Holly, you're an English singer songwriter I really like. Um, oh, nice. Oh, shit. Linda Ronstadt when she was in the Stone Ponies. Oh, wonderful. Stone Peas. As I'm like, she was in Stone Temple Pilots later when I can't remember what I, <laughs> I think that I was the that. name of the band. Uh, I uh-huh. might be getting it Stone wrong. Stone Ponies? I think that's right. No, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I it's been a minute since I brushed on, up on my Ronstadt, but her family was a Tucson family. So I've, I oh, no like, was very excited about that because that's where I'm from. Um, when we were young, we, we had an awareness and appreciation. Um, okay. And then let's see. Two more quick categories. One category, alternate universe careers. Let's just assume that, you know, we're focusing on the best of, of the whatever it is, since there's mm. downsides to everything. I think it's probably a racket, but one of these days I'd still like to do yoga teacher training and teach yoga, uh, especially Great. in this universe where I don't have to make a living. That's right. Um, I would like to do something practical and helpful, like be a carpenter. Great. Um, and it's funny because the more you, like, Oftentimes you find out that aid work is like very much a bullish sword. Um, but if yeah. there were a way to, in a non-colonialist, imperialist way, help populations that are like recovering from a natural disaster or something, not that I'm not that yeah. virtuous. It just, it seems like it would be interesting, compelling and moving work. So I'm thinking of the eco yeah. payoff, like the mental payoffs of it. Not Got it. Very strict. Like if the if I'm the Peace state. Corps were what we all think of the Peace Corps as being plain yes. and simple, that's what it would be. Got it. Yeah. Um, okay. And then final category. Let us do. Let's do three. Okay, so in your you're in your existing home in Richmond, there's a sort of magical dimensional door where it opens to a room that somehow is not actually part of the footprint of your home, so it could sort of be limitless in size. Mm. But it's a it's a door that opens up into a room that you don't currently have, and so you could use it as frivolously as you want or as practically as you want. It could be a you know full service laundry room, but it could also be like you know sort of a a domed forest greenhouse. Your choice three. I would like a screen porch to read on. I love to read on a screen porch and I don't have one. So it would just have a very comfortable chair and the weather would always be temperate. 
yeah. and someone else is making dinner. Yes. Love it. A storage room and then, oh, a movie theater where I could go in Wonderful. and just watch movies and it was like a full-size standard auditorium. That would be amazing. Presumably with popcorn and or red vines, which is cool because if you don't get one of those, I feel like it's built into your movie theater if you do get one of those. So let us do this. Uh, I would love to get from you uh, a number between one and seven. Four. Great. While I am doing this very quickly, uh, this is a great opportunity. I want to say vamp because that's gross, but it is a great opportunity for you to... um, Tell people where they can find not just the book, but anything else of yours that you would like them to be aware of, as that will be doing me a favor while I do this quick non-math. Sure. Um, I have a website. It's just KatherineBadMagira.com. I have a substack. It's called Poke and Save Your Life. The book is available everywhere books are sold, including on Amazon. Also, my amazing local bookstore. It's called Fountain Bookstore. They're out of Richmond, and they're selling signed copies. They're also just the best people on the planet. So I can't recommend them enough. And then your standard Barnes and Noble and everywhere else. Wonderful. One, oh, my goodness. Okay, I'm almost done. I am stunned by some of these results. Simply stunned. <laughs> Is this like a fortune telling mm-hmm. thing? Yeah, oh, yes, more or oh, less. I mean, beautiful. I am going to give you your 100% guaranteed alternate universe MASH future. Mm. So no pressure on me, but... Okay, this is a big deal. All right. Okay, first of all, you do get this mansion, apartment, shack, or house. I often ask people for, like, a place in the world that they would like to have a second home. I didn't get there with you because I was I got sucked into some of these other concepts that I was excited about. So what we're going to do is you did get a mansion, and we're going to put we're going to tuck that mansion inside of Casablanca. So not only can you pop into the movie, but you can actually be there and you have your own place to go home to whenever you want inside of Casablanca with like all the wonderful sort of moods that 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 film um, evokes. Now, that being said, I want you to rest assured if anything happens to it or anything else around it or your life outside of Casablanca and your mansion, you are a carpenter. So you are going to be able to put the world back together again as long as it involves something a carpenter can do very important skill very helpful i don't know if that means that you built the magical screen porch uh room (laughs) that is inside your current house sounds like you might have but uh i want you to enjoy the hell out of that and the comfort of that uh wonderful wonderful chair reading chair and uh the smell of someone else cooking a delicious dinner in the background that is definitely happening um for dessert or really any other time you want it unlimited red vines nothing wrong with them not going to do anything bad to you or the planet just delicious red vines whenever you want you want to bring those back into the 1830s or 1840s and give some to Poe see what he has to say about it go for it is that like going to be the butterfly effect I don't know (laughs) but perhaps Uh, you get to follow him around sort of shadow him really get a sense of him in the moment in his in his life as a present tense Mm. i think that's very exciting um by the way i don't know if you knew that Mahler had written a beautiful song about you but also not bad and then you double down on byron and you got both So you have your sexy times, fantastic romance, Byron, and you also have him as this, you know, fascinating person and mind who obviously considers you an intellectual equal. Come on, of course. Mm. And that you have this sort of perhaps you have a collaboration with or you have this, you know, this this wonderful um, intellectual relationship with in addition to this kind of flaming romance that is also happening. So. If I had to guess, I'd say you're, you must be pleased with these results because they're pretty kick-ass. I'm pretty amazed by this vision. It's so tough to my case. <laughs> <laughs> We've done well together. You and I make a very good MASH team, mm. it turns out. And this has been such a pleasure. I... Uh, I I love your process in this particular project and um, you're just a wonderful contributor to uh, a lot of great writing that's out there. So um, thank you for, for popping on my, my silly podcast and uh, 
pontificating with me for an hour. It's been really, really great. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.